The reading is from the book of Exodus. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife the daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare son. When she saw him, that he was a godly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with pitch and slime and put the child therein. She placed it among the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to it that she might know what was done for him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself in the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when they saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went, went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew, and she brought it to Pharaoh's daughter, he became her son. She called his name Moses, for she said, because I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, please. This is the word of the Lord. Egypt, beloved in the Lord, is a land created by a very large and long river. That river, the Nile, takes its rise from Lake Victoria far to the south, more than 4,100 miles from the sea. When I was a boy, I was instructed, probably third or fourth grade, that the Amazon is the longest of the rivers. It's not. The Nile is a couple of hundred miles longer than the Amazon. 
Since the beginning of the world, the Nile River has carried away many millions of tons of topsoil from the jungles of Africa on its way to Egypt for many millennia. It has deposited that rich soil over the vast tracts of the Egyptian farmland on its way to the marshes of the Mediterranean basin. In the fifth century before Christ, Herodotus of Halicarnassus invited his fellow Greeks <clears throat> to make a simple test regarding the Nile. When you approach Egypt from the sea, he wrote, and are still a day's sail from land, if you let down a sounding line, you will bring up mud from a depth of 11 fathoms. This shows how far the alluvial deposit of the land extends. Still doing that. Still doing that. 5,000 years ago, there was already a very rich culture based on that phenomenon. In both literal and figurative senses, the Nile River put Egypt on the map. It is a land created by a river. The Nile Delta, one of the richest deposits of farmland on the face of the earth, spreads across 150 miles of the Mediterranean coastline, extends 100 miles up the river. For at least 5,000 years, this river has been the source of the country's prosperity. The Nile provided the wealth to build Egypt's palaces, its temples, and its pyramids. Egypt was the breadbasket of the Mediterranean basin, fed the entire Mediterranean basin. Particularly, it fed the city of Rome. It was much cheaper bringing grain from Egypt, the port of Ostia, than it was trying to bring grain overland from elsewhere in Italy. The prosperity provided by the Nile also produced the country's educated and leisured class. 2,000 years before Solomon, Egypt was already a land of mathematicians, philosophers, scientists, engineers, astronomers, 
learned men. All of this culture, beginning with its agriculture, was provided by the Nile River. Let me once more cite Herodotus. For even if he has not heard it in advance, anyone with sense, hostis de sinus in echi, hostis de sinus in echi, anyone who has sense, can readily see that Egypt, the Egypt, to which the Greeks set sail, is a land deposited for the Egyptians, the gift of the river. Gi kadoron to Potamu, the gift of the river. It's a great line. The waters of the Nile, therefore, represented everything that Egypt was and meant. In that stream, according to this evening's reading, a little child was inserted. Something was not planned on by the geography or the topography. The little child was placed into what the Egyptians called a teva. It's an Egyptian word, a teva. A teva is any kind of container or box. The word appears, it's not a, it's not a Hebrew word, by the way. It appears only in two contexts in the Bible. Anybody remember what the other one is? You must have had a, a real slack of a priest before the present one. What other box resistant to water was daubed with pitch to make it watertight? Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark. Those are the only two places where that word appears. And it's the Egyptian word. Noah's Ark. Inviting a comparison between the story of the flood and the story of Moses. There's a commentary on the book of Genesis published by Ancient Faith Press that goes into this in some detail. It's obvious that none of you have read it and I recommend it. Now, Moses' own name is explained with reference to the river itself. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. It reads much better in Hebrew. Vatikra Shimo Moshe. Vatikra Shimo Moshe. She called his name Moses. Vatomarki Minhamayim Mishiteka. Because I drew him 
out of the water. Now this insertion of the Hebrew child into Egypt's royal family is symbolic of salvation itself. See, this is how God does things. He inserts himself, intrudes himself into human history, quiet, secret ways to transform that history. Already in Moses, God entered human history through the agency of a small, helpless child. In order for this to happen, it was necessary, so to speak, for God to find some small opening for his intrusion into history. One of the worst fruits of Calvinism, I believe, is the doctrine of total depravity. See, because if man is totally depraved, there can be no room for any insertion. There's nothing good there to receive. There's no opening to God. God found this opening in the spontaneous impulse of a young Egyptian woman. It says she felt compassion. Well, you see, as long as human beings feel compassion, there's an opening. Compassion is one of the ways God intrudes himself into our history. Any place where people feel compassion and act on that passion for someone who's suffering, someone who's helpless, any sort of indignation on the part of a human being toward injustice, these are all openings. Any pursuit of truth or beauty or goodness, these are all openings where God can intrude himself into our history. The daughter of Pharaoh knew this was a Hebrew infant, but it was her Hebrew infant. She found the child. The entire history of the Exodus was made possible by this young woman's spontaneous reaction to a helpless newborn infant. Fortunately, the daughter of Pharaoh did not have the heart of Pharaoh. We touch here, beloved, on a fundamental truth of history. Namely, man's openness to God's intrusion is through his most basic, even biological impulses. The Hebrew author of this book, 
records the compassion of the young Egyptian princess who followed the instincts of her heart. We don't know her name, but she was the very best that Egypt had to offer. She was the one prepared to receive the real gift of the Nile. Amen. Thank you.